Hello everyone and welcome to Tarot Esoterica Episode 7. My name is Laurel and I'm branded online as the Loracular. This podcast series is just me talking about basic occult symbolism and metaphysical philosophy with tarot cards in mind. Today's episode is my official introduction to the Kircher-style Tree of Life and how it portrays the ten Kabbalistic Sephira. You can think of the Sephira as emanations of different kinds of energy. In all forms of Kabbalah, the ten Sephirot and 22 connecting lines are called the 32 Paths of Wisdom. I'm going to apologize for something now. I've spent an entire lifetime learning vocabulary words through reading, not recitation, which means my brain created its own pronunciation for many Hebrew words decades ago. There are also some motor skills I'm a little deficient in. Disabilities can be very disabling sometimes, unfortunately. And this limitation with my vocalize makes it very obvious when I grapple with pronouncing certain foreign words, especially in German, French, and Hebrew. I'm not going to delve too deeply into the esoteric and psychoteric lore for the sufferer at this episode. This will be the final baby step lesson before I start unpacking philosophy and lore in a timeline beginning with Eliphas Levi and moving forward from there author by author, deck by deck. Just know that as far as doing Kabbalistic tarot is concerned, any Kabbalistic tree of life diagram you use needs to have the following things. 10 suffera connected with exactly 22 lines. Three horizontal lines across the middle that connect the three opposing pairs of sephirot on the right and left pillars. Then the pillars are composed of seven vertical lines, and then there will be 12 lines at angles connecting different sephirot. Here is why. The sephir yetzirah clearly divides the Hebrew alphabet into three mother letters, seven double letters, and 12 single letters. The traits provided those letters within the ancient text include astrological ones, specifically the three astrological modalities, the seven classical planets, and the 12 zodiacal signs. I'm personally convinced that it was Kabbalah that brought astrology to the tarot via the Hebrew alphabet. It was Levi who first made the attributions of specific Hebrew letters and astrological concepts to these specific tarot cards. He created for himself sketches and notes of how he thought a tarot card should look like based on his Kabbalistic and other studies. The esoteric tarot deck that actually got printed that most resembles Levi's own notes was drawn by Oswald Wirth. Now, the shape of the Tree of Life diagram that is the most conventional in online Kabbalah and Kabbalah books these days is attributed by scholars to German-born Catholic Johann Reuchling for the Latin translation of a Jewish mystical text called in English The Gates of Light. The Gates of Light, the English version, was published in 1516. That was the first time this specific diagram of the 32 paths of wisdom is known to have been published by anyone. 
and it was done by this Christian Kabbalist, Roy Kleint. Tree of Life drawings were found in Jewish mystical texts long before then, but never with the same exact geometric shape. Different commentators had their own preferences, and none of those had the exact pattern of how the 22 paths connected to the 10 Sephirot as Roy Kleins. Roy Kleins' specific alignment of the three pillars, 10 Sephirot, and connecting 22 paths was then borrowed and expanded upon by the Jesuit scholar Athanasius Kircher 136 years later. Kircher published it in an elaborate engraving in his own text, the Oedipus Aegypticus. Kircher was something of an occult celebrity for his generation, and so the diagram is now named after him in occult circles. Since its founding as a tradition in its own right, esoteric tarot has almost exclusively used the Kircher-style tree of life at least in everything that's gotten published. And that is why I'm going to be talking about the Kircher-style Tree of Life exclusively for a while. It simply has this long history, popularity, and central role in the evolution of esoteric tarot since the 1850s. In my own esoteric practices, I use a different diagram for the tree called the Natural Array by Ari Kaban in his book on the Sefer Yetzirah. Now, a Kircher-style tree has Mokoth, the Sephirot of the physical world, dramatically pulled down from the other nine, and there is a mysterious abyss called Dahoth, hovering where Tifereth would be if the tree was in harmony with itself, if it was shaped with symmetry like the natural array diagram is. I'm going to describe the Kircher tree as it appears when you are merely looking at it, like it's on paper or a video screen in front of you. I am also starting at the bottom and working up. So the 10th Sephirot, Malkoth, is the kingdom. Malkoth doesn't have an astrological association exactly, most Kabbalistic books. A symbol of a circle divided into four quarters is very commonly applied to it to represent the four classic elements of the earth and the forces of minor arcana. In numerology, 10 is the completion of a cycle, and that meaning holds true for the tarot for the tens. I've read that the tens in each suit really represent a summary or amalgamation of every prediction, message, or lesson that the other nine pips suggest. In my personal readings, tens very much represent where me or my household are in terms of vocation, financial security, physical health, emotional wellness. They are usually talking about a big chunk of time, something that isn't just a mood or a day or a week's worth of experience, but a state or condition that was around, is around, or will be around for months or years. This all ties in what I said last week about the world of Asaya. And when you are looking at a single Kircher tree divided into the four worlds, Malkoth is the only one in Asaya, which is the world of physical, tangible manifestation, the world of Earth. In the Kircher-style tree, Malkoth is connected 
to a trinity of other sephirot above it, with Yesod, the foundation, the ninth sephirot, closer than the others. In astrology, Yesod associates with the moon. In numerology, nine is often associated with inner wisdom, intuition, and spiritual awareness. In tarot, the nines are often associated with these things and with the insights and thoughts that directly bring all those things that manifest in the tens into our subconscious mind. In my personal development readings, nines usually show up for a dream, a fantasy, or worry, something that I might not have explored yet, or it could be advice about changing or keeping a specific mood. Yesod has four paths, the one leading straight down to Malkoth, one leading straight up to Tiberet, one angling off to the right to Nizak, and one angling to the left to Hod, the glory, which is the eighth Sephirot. In astrology, Hod associates with Mercury. In numerology, eight is often given associations of balance, harmony, and success. The infinity symbol, the Lemmisgate, is shaped like a figure eight on its side. In tarot, the eights are associated with balance, harmony, compared to what is both above and below them. In my personal development readings, the eights tend to confirm something is going on, or what I thought was going on is accurate. Hode has as one of its connected paths the horizontal line that connects it to the seventh Sephira Nizak. In astrology, Venus associates with Nizog, the tribe. In numerology, seven is given a lot of traits that I see overlapping with the nines. The same way, I think in astrology, some of the traits given to Venus and the moon overlap. The sevens are considered magical and otherworldly, and I think they're just more extroverted, more yangish than the nines, but they do still brush on a lot of the same themes and concepts. This plays out very well in the Rider Waite style tarot, in my opinion, that sevens are about acting on impulses and desires. This holds true in my personal development readings. The sevens show up when I have to take actions or make reactions that day that are going to be affecting my bigger picture in subtle ways. And there's a lot of subjectivity to work through on a day where I've got a lot of sevens. Ready for one of my fun association strings? When a single tree diagram is being divided into the four worlds, nine Yesod Moon, eight Hod Mercury, and seven Nizak Venus fall into the world of Yetzirah, the world of formation, that world of air and communication. From Nizak, we travel back to the middle pillar and to my favorite of all the Sephiroth, Tibereth. Tibereth associates in astrology with the sun, and in Kabbalah, it represents the tree's golden heart. In the Kircher diagram, eight paths direct out from it, making it very easy to picture as a heart or the sun. In numerology, six is associated with the heart, love, family, virtue. In the tarot, these concepts also play out in the sixes, especially with union, harmony, 
balance, love. In my personal development reading, sixes are always auspicious. They tell me that I'm doing good things for myself and other people, and I should just continue those good things. There's a lot of positivity and momentum, and I'm usually already feeling it before I flip the card over and see that it's a six. I'm intentionally working on tempering my natural introverted anxious tendencies with more extroverted joyous behavior and six show up when I'm being successful at that. Tippereth is joyous and celebratory to me. And now I move to the left pillar again and meet the fifth Sephira. Gevorah's strength is also called Fished the fear. It is directly between the eighth and the second sephiras, both geometrically and numerically. It's three above, three below, if you math it. Gebera's planetary association is Mars, which describes Gebera aptly. Numerology associates five freedom and change. In the tarot, these traits pick up a slightly less positive connotation. Fives often represent obstacles and conks. Yes, I still cringe when a lot of fives show up in tarot readings for myself and others. Fives are about pain, grief, loss, conflict, and Geburah is the place on the tree of life where we face all the yucky stuff that makes or breaks us. When I'm facing something Geburish in my life, it really helps me to remember the maxim, fire burns, but also cleanses. Gebura has the central horizontal path connecting it to the fourth sephira, Hesed the Love, which balances five Mars energy with four Jupiter energy. In numerology, fours are another stabilizing number associated with practicality, responsibility, and security. In the Minor Arcana, the fours likewise associate with balance, consolidation, with balance, peace, and security, but usually a much more temporary kind than the tens. In my personal readings, I tend to view the fours as suggestions for ways to improve or tweak something I'm doing, to apply a little more or a little less of something like sleep, downtime, holding on to my money, time with friends, time on Twitter for a few days or a week or two just to get myself back in balance. So a little more or a little less of those kinds of things are what the fours usually suggest to me. Six, Sun, Tempereth, five, Mars, Gabura, and four, Jupiter, she said, make up another triangle that plays itself out in the world of Bria, the world of creation and feelings, when the four worlds are applied to a single diagram. She said is the last of the Sephira below Doth and the Supernal Triangle. The Kircher-style tree intentionally has no path directly connecting the fourth sphere with the third sphere, Bina. There is a roadblock called the Abyss, or Doth. The knowledge isn't a Sephira. A lot of authors get that wrong. It isn't an emanation of energy. That's something that, that Kabbalah with a K reinforces. 
that there are exactly 10, not 11, Sephiroth. There's a great deal of occult lore about this abyss of knowledge, how dangerous it is, and what you have to do in order to be enlightened enough to cross it. I have strong opinions on the topic, but that is a conversation for another day. Bina the Intelligence is the first of the three supernal Sephiroth. In astrology, most early Kabbalists, starting with Levi, associate it with Saturn. I personally put Saturn all the way down in Malkoth and keep the supernal triangle to represent the triadic modality, the mother letters that I babble a lot about. Bina is typically called the supernal mother. And everything that associates with yin as a pure archetype can be associated with Bina. But something striking shows up when you apply the numerology of three to Bina. In numerology, three has traits that I would call forceful, energetic, yangish, not yinish. Words like growth, expansion, and creativity get applied to threes. In my personal development readings, the threes usually show up about topics where I've been collaborating or participating with others and something significant happened or is about to happen. Threes are almost always about activities and actions I need to take. From Bina, we travel over the final horizontal path from the left pillar to the right pillar, and we reach the supernal mother's polar opposite, the supernal father, Hokma. Hokma emanates Yang. However, I have read that numerologists consider two a supremely feminine or fixed or yin force, and a lot of traits I associate with the high priestess. Two in the major arcana are associated in numerology with two. In the minor arcana, twos are associated with polarity, duality, and connections. In my personal development readings, the twos seem to be more about the quality of my relationships and how much time I'm spending with or away from my people and whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. So twos are about people in my life. The threes are about the activities that me and my people are doing together. And this gets us to Kether the Crown, the very top of the Kabbalistic Tree of Life. If Bina and Hokma are pure yin, pure yang, then Kether is the monad. It's the perfection of something that cannot be divided. I commented on an earlier episode that the third astrological modality, mutability, is the unstable or failed attempt to achieve perfection. Kether is the ideal that alchemists and mystics are striving for in the Philosopher's Stone or the great work. Kether is the one, the Godhead. In numerology, one gets associated with opportunity, potential, creativity, power, and the individual. 
the aces of the major arcana get described much the same way. They represent seeds, beginnings, fresh starts, new opportunities. This has always proven true in both my self-readings and readings for Quarants. A breath of fresh air, even into an old relationship or situation, show up with the ones, with the aces. And there you have the ten sephirot, from physical kingdom to celestial crown. This gets us to the end of this specific episode of Tarot Esoterica. Next week, I'm going to present Eliphas Levi and the book best known in English as Transcendental Magic, its doctrine and ritual, starting with the introduction. Thereafter, each episode of Tarot Esoterica will cover a single chapter and a single major arcana card, and I'll be talking about the Worth deck. If you really like Tarot Esoterica so far, please let me know and spread that praise on your social media platforms. I don't accept tarot clients at this time, and everything I write is free to read and even borrow, as long as you attribute me as the original author. You can also catch me on Twitter at tlaracular, but be warned, on Twitter I get opinionated, goofy, and unapologetically political. Until next time, know thyself and discern thy truths wisely. May the world do good unto you, and may you do good unto the world.